0: The rob burgess show i'm of course your host rob burgess on this our 61st episode our guest is lynn walsh you first heard lynn walsh on episode 49 of this podcast lynn walsh is an emmy award winning journalist who has been working in investigative journalism at the national level as well as locally in california ohio texas and florida Currently, she leads the KNSD investigative team at the NBC TV station in San Diego, California, where she is the investigative executive producer. She is the national president for the Society of Professional Journalists and also serves the journalism organization as a member of SPJ's FOI and ethics committees. Lynn was also selected to represent SPJ on the Freedom of Information Act Advisory Committee, where she works to recommend changes to help improve the FOIA process. Prior to working in California, she was working as data producer and investigative reporter for the EW Scripps National Desk, producing stories for the 30-plus Scripps news organizations across the country. Before moving to the National Desk, she worked as the investigative producer at WPTV News Channel 5 in West Palm Beach, Florida. She has won state and local awards as well as multiple Emmys for her stories. She loves holding the powerful accountable and spends more time than she would like fighting for access to public information. Her passion lies in telling multimedia stories that deliver hard-hitting facts across multiple platforms. She describes herself as a data viz nerd, who is obsessed with new online tools to share information on the web and mobile applications. Lynn is always interested in new projects surrounding FOI public information access, mobile reporting tools, social media, and interactive journalism. She is a proud Bobcat alumna and graduated from The Ohio University's E.W. Scripps School of Journalism. And now onto the show. Hello. Hi, is it Rob? Yeah.
1: Hi, Rob. It's Lynn. Sorry, I was caught up on the other line for
0: a second. Oh, that's okay. That's fine. I'm glad we finally connected. So. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And how long? I just want to check timing. I only have to like 1130. Is
0: that okay? Yeah, that's fine. I'll, uh, I'll, that, that totally works for me. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll get right into it then. So you recently visited uh, South Korea. Uh, what was the reason for your visit and uh, kind of what did you... Uh, see as the state of the freedom of the press there when you were there.
1: Yes, so uh, I was there um, in South Korea, invited by the Journalists Association of Korea. Um, SPJ has had a partnership with them in the past where, um, similar to, like, a journalism exchange program, I guess I would describe it, where we would uh, bring journalists from their organization here to the U.S. Um, Then some journalists from the U.S. would then um, go to uh, South Korea. They also had a... um, journalism conference around that time that they invited us. So we attended that. Um, The prime focus of the conference was talking about and exposing some of the journalists there to uh, what Korea is hoping will become a, a South Korea is hoping will become a peaceful peninsula. And I'm talking to, they had, you know, different uh, lawmakers and uh, professors talk about, you know, how to propose solutions to solve the conflict um, uh, between North and South Korea. So that, that was definitely interesting. Um, I think, for me, some of the biggest takeaways is just that, you know, when we talk about freedom of the press, specifically here in the U.S., and, um, you know, we do have... Um, and are not maybe threatened in the way as some journalists might be in Russia or in other parts of the world, um, it's still, though, important that when any little tidbit or any little chance of of freedom for the press or freedom of speech is taken away, it's so important to fight back because that has just repercussions or possibilities of repercussions all around the world. Um, And it's something that I think talking to some of these journalists, you really realize that even though the U.S. may not be the best um, when it's ranked in different ratings and that kind of thing, um, it really still is considered the gold standard, and if we let that standard fall, it could really be detrimental around the world in other countries.
0: Well, and if other countries see us not holding up our end of the bargain, it makes it harder for people within those countries to advocate for their own rights, because they don't have us to point to as an example anymore. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but uh, anyway, you also traveled to Israel, uh, and uh, what can you tell us about that experience?
1: Yeah, so Israel was a um, similar—I was invited to speak at a conference they were having. Uh, They have a conference every other year where they invite journalists from all around the world to talk about freedom of the press. Um, Specifically, the panel I spoke on was um, government, friends, or foes. And it was interesting. There was a journalist from Russia there, uh, a journalist from Israel, and, you know, to me, it was eye-opening because we, again, are in the U.S. dealing with actually very similar issues that they are dealing with in Israel in the sense that their politicians, more often than not, are going straight to Twitter or, in their case, YouTube in delivering their comments, talking directly to the people, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And it's great that, you know, people can communicate directly with these top officials. <clears throat> but what you are seeing, though, is then that, The journalists themselves, or the public, are not allowed access to ask questions. Hmm. Um, They're being funneled through public information officers, they're never, you know, maybe getting straight answers. So very similar issues that we are seeing in the US, they are also experiencing in Israel.
0: Wow, um, that's really interesting. Um, so, in uh, in April, uh, President Donald Trump's chief of staff, uh, Reince Priebus, told ABC News that they are looking at opening up libel laws. Now, I uh, that's obviously a concerning uh, statement, but at the same time, it's not really that's not really theirs to change. It's mostly court decisions. Uh, am I right?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, there are things, um, it, it's, it's an interesting balance, you know, for SPJ because obviously when we hear things like this or a member brings something like this to our attention, um, you are concerned. It does, you want to raise awareness as to why this would be a, you know, a bad thing to do. Um, you want to talk about the importance of freedom of the press, um, how it is a, a right, you know, that's guaranteed in this country. But also you want to add the context and not get, not get so alarmed or raise the alarm because you want to ask, okay, could they really do this? And if so, what would it look like? Um, and so you want to, you know, explain that and make sure people understand that as well, that, They could just be saying it. Um, But I think, you know, it's also kind of like what I was mentioning before, even just mentioning that, that that's something that someone in the White House wants to do, I think, is worth being concerned about if you are concerned about freedoms in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the question always is, is, okay, yes, maybe one person or two people or you know, the president maybe cannot do that, but can he put people in power that can do that? Um, will the public think it's a good idea and get behind it and want that to happen? So that's why, even though you don't want to raise the alarm too high, because it maybe isn't there yet, you also, though, don't want to just let some of these things that have been said continue to be said and not have anyone speak out against
0: them. Yeah, that's very true. Absolutely. Um, so last time we, uh, we talked, we talked about the White House daily press briefings, um, and there's been some development since then. Uh, it's come out that uh, Press Secretary Sean Spicer may no longer do those uh, when Trump gets back from overseas. Um, one of the founders of Twitter even suggested that they tweet questions instead of having them. Uh, they, uh, Trump said that he wants just to hand out written responses to, to questions instead of having these. But what's your response to all that?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, adding in new ways to communicate is not a bad thing. So let's say if they wanted to do Twitter Q&As in addition to having something in person or allowing journalists access in person, um, I think that's great. You know, adding those that kind of access is, again, it's not a bad thing. I think if you start doing some of this instead of in-person meetings, instead of in-person access, I do think that's where we do have a problem and we do want to stand up and really push back because... It's just like with anything, you know. I mean, these are public officials. These are people that are paid for with public money um, through tax dollars. They are people that are making decisions that impact the public. They should um, answer to the public. And for in that situation with the White House press briefing, the people representing the public are the journalists that are then sharing that information with the public in a variety of different ways and forms. And so to cut that access off is basically saying we don't want to communicate with the public. Mm -hmm. We don't want to provide that access. Um, and, And we definitely see that as problematic. And again... Those meetings themselves don't necessarily aren't necessarily where the big story is and, and we totally understand that and journalists, you know, need to understand that too. What's said in that press briefing is what they want to share with us, right? So you have to look beyond some of that information. You're doing more reporting beyond that. But in some cases, that may be your only chance to ask a question to any of those top officials because they're not making themselves available um, anywhere else. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's true. Um, this has come up again and again with Trump and also with people uh, within the Republican Party recently. That Washington Post story that came out about Kevin McCarthy and Paul Ryan, quote unquote, joking about that uh, uh, Trump and Dana Rohrabacher were being paid by the Russians, um, you know, and then Ryan spurring them to silence. But anyway, like like the whole idea of somebody saying something outrageous, but then being like, oh, it's just you know, just a joke. How do we covered with just a joke as a journalist, like, how how do we draw the line between what is a joke and what isn't?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to depend a lot on your publication. So if you are a political, you know, if you are a white, you know, federal political reporting, that's what you do. So you report on politics, okay? that's probably going to be something that you are going to cover. I think the key is that, you know, you cover it as transparently and accurately as possible and leave out any kind of, I would say, personal feelings. Um, sometimes, I don't know, adding in like one liners or trying to make it maybe sexier than it is. I would say, you know, don't do that. Make it very fact-based. Mm-hmm. Um, Now, if you're working at a local news station, like I do, you know, in San Diego, that's going to be maybe not a top priority for coverage. Does that make sense? Like, that's not, Hmm. we don't cover maybe the the political, and it depends, again, what the level is. But um, in some cases, if it is just a politician joking about something that maybe doesn't potentially impact where you are, the people you are covering then you may not be covering it in the same way that a political reporter
0: may. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that's totally true. I can think of a lot of local officials that if they were on a national stage, it would, they'd probably get picked apart for every little thing. But um, So uh, kind of turning to student journalists, uh, there's been, of course, a lot of controversy about free speech on campus. Um, we've had some incidents where um, student journalists have been stifled. There was uh, that professor at the University of Missouri that was fired after she tried to, you know, sick people on the press. And, you know, there was uh, the, uh, on the other side of the political spectrum, on the conservative side, there was a journalist in the Por- uh, Portland Vanguard uh, that was fired for tweeting a video of a Muslim Muslim panelist saying apostates would be killed in some Islamic countries. Um, so, but uh, the thing that I've always tried to remind people is that student journalists don't necessarily have the same protections as journalists that are working in the professional world because of some court decisions, right?
1: Right. And we um, we work closely with the Student Press Law Center um, and they do an incredible job uh, protecting students' rights um, in some of the situations you named uh, and the professors' rights uh, but also just in general pushing for laws to make it so that Journalists that are reporting for um, a university, a college, even if it's a high school, uh, you know, news organization, they have similar rights as would somebody who's working for, um, you know, a professional organization like a local TV station or a local paper. So they are definitely fighting these battles. And from talking to uh, some of the individuals over there, there is a concern that we are seeing more examples of this in recent years than we have in the past, and that can we handle and speak out against all of them? That's a concern. And if we can't, um, if some of these slip by and become you know, standards or if new laws are created, um, it could be very detrimental to the freedom of the press on these campuses um, and in sometimes in these high schools. So it definitely is a, is a growing concern um, that I've heard, especially from people who are you know, knee deep in all of it. Uh, and it's something that SPJ also is concerned about because, again, it's like it's just every little bit that maybe gets taken away. Mm. What is that? What's the broader picture? What's the broader impact? Um, and, you know, it may sound silly that, oh, it's just one professor that loses their job for, you know, doing something, but it's it set a precedent, and who's going to use that precedent or that example to do it again mm. um, and to do it in a broader sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, there, there's also kind of, you talk about these little uh, kind of micro not microaggressions because they're more than that, but, uh, you know, and then one of them that I've seen recently was the reporter in Western Virginia that was arrested for asking a question of Tom Price, the Health and Human Services Secretary, and then uh, Price turns around and, and thanks the cops that did it, you know, uh, just because he was asking him some questions outside a press conference, I think was the official reason. Uh, and then there was a, uh, CQ roll call reporter that was pinned to the wall in the FCC meeting for doing pretty much the same thing Um, I mean obviously those are both alarming but how do we kind of assert our right to ask questions in a public forum without it being a a press conference because I mean as journalists you're allowed to ask somebody a question in public it's just it's allowed right
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the first thing that we can do is, one, support these journalists who have found themselves in these situations, and that's something that the Society of Professional Journalists is doing. Um, You know, the National Press Club has really jumped in uh, and sort of led the fight uh, for uh, the gentleman there with the FCC issue. And you're seeing other organizations as well, the Committee to Protect Journalists, um, Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. So we're really all trying to work together that when we hear of instances like this, that we get involved as early as possible. And whether that's, you know, funding their legal fight, um, trying to push to get charges dropped, bringing it to the attention of the public. I think, and as journalists, you know, we need to support them as well by sharing those stories, talking about that. Um, Just, you know, if there aren't instances like this, I think it's always good to make sure you know your rights and to, you know, professionally and respectfully, um, you know, make sure that you're sticking to those rights. And if even if it's just a simple thing like you're on a public sidewalk or, yes, you're in a public building with a camera, um, you know, if that's something that that in your state and you know sometimes city and state laws are different um but if it is something that is legal that you stand your ground on it because i think if we let them sort of take that away when it's something that is legal they think they can then do it the next time so we need to make sure we are educating ourselves um the only other thing one thing that i'll add about it is unfortunately I think we're finding ourselves, journalists are finding themselves in these situations where they are having to talk to people in hallways or talk to people as they're walking into a meeting or leaving a meeting more and more because it's harder than ever to get these individuals on the phone. Hmm. So you have public information officers, you have spokespeople, and you have just an increase in staffing. And there have been different studies that have been done that show how many people are going into being hired in public relations positions um, versus journalism, which is going down. And so you're having to be funneled through five and six people in an office and you can't even get the mayor on the phone. So then you're forced to show up to get a question answered from the mayor, um, you know, at one of their public briefings. And you Mm -hmm. might have to catch him or her going in or out of the meeting. Mm -hmm. And it's not an ideal situation for anyone, Um, but it is a situation that we unfortunately find ourselves in more often than not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, I know our time grows short here, and uh, I didn't get a chance to ask you this last time, but what music have you been listening to lately?
1: What music have I been listening to um, that's a good question. I, I actually have been turning on my Pandora Enrique Iglesias station. Nice. All um, <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I really like pop music. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's the station I've been listening to a lot. He's coming to San Diego here in, uh, in October. Um, but also I don't know why it, it sounds kind of random, but our station here in San Diego is going, we're, uh, combining with the Telemundo station. So Spanish language. So oh, great. I just have I felt the vibe in the newsroom, so I kind of turned to one of my favorite um, Spanish artists. Yeah, so, and awesome. I don't speak Spanish, but I enjoy the music.
0: So. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Was well, there anything else I didn't ask you about uh, that you want to get in there before we go?
1: I don't think so. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm sorry we all had a limited amount of time, but I appreciate
0: it. That's okay. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon.
1: Okay, cool. Good. Good. Thanks. Have a good time. Bye.
0: If you enjoy this podcast there are several ways to support it i have a patreon account which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash rob burgess show patreon i hope you'll consider supporting in any amount also please make sure to comment follow like subscribe share rate and review the podcast everywhere it's available which includes itunes youtube soundcloud stitcher google play music facebook twitter internet archive TuneIn, and rss it really helps The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.